Living free, eh? Sounds good, doesn't it? Living free, living fully. fully. Well, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to live free and he wants us to live fully. God wants us to live in his freedom, his freedom, so that we can live out his purpose on the earth. See, we can make freedom about us and we can get caught up with self. But God wants us to be caught up with him. And so he wants us to intentionally become all that he's made us to be because he wants us to take our place and be the person and the people that he's made us to be so that we can bring about his change on his earth. So some scriptures to remind us of. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let it sink in. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So if you've had any measure of freedom during this course, if you've met with God and experienced a release and you think, wow, then don't let yourselves be burdened again. Don't go back. Don't return. Press on. Move forward. Keep going. Don't let anything stop you from fully entering in to all you are in Christ. Become the person he's already made you to be. Don't turn back. And don't let the devil steal from you. Don't be robbed again. Don't let destruction in again. Don't let him kill the life of God in you. Don't do it. For we are God's masterpiece. We are God's handiwork. We are God's. He's made us. And he's created us anew in Jesus so we can do the good things he's prepared for us long ago. He's made you on purpose, for purpose, his purpose. So we need to keep on using the five R's to help us in our relationship with God. Focus on our relationship with God and not on a formula. However, the tool of the five R's is really helpful. It is for life and not just a course. If you turn over to page two, hopefully all of you, most of you, have had some freedom prayer. And during the course of that freedom prayer, you would have had some revelation of God's original design for you, of who God made you to be. And you would have gone through that process of finding out, well, if that's what I'm like and I want to be like that, and I, yeah, yes, please, I can't quite believe that about myself, but I'd love to be like that. 
It's okay then, what is stopping you? And so it's a continual journey of living that life that God wants us to live and realising, recognising what is coming against me. So we are saved by God's grace, but we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and being aware of the devil's schemes to stop us living fully for him. So we need to continually be having that heart going, Lord, what's going on here? Why am I reacting like this? Why am I saying this? Why am I doing this? Is this an old habit of mine? Is this something new coming against me? So it's asking, is there a characteristic I'm seeing, a newly formed characteristic in my life that isn't godly that I'm seeing? Are there thought patterns that I'm getting that are new? Because hopefully there's been stuff from the past that has been dealt with. And uh, there's that sense in which we don't like going back and dealing with the same thing again. But if we're honest, that's our story. We keep going back and dealing with our stuff again. I thought I'd dealt with this. I thought I'd sorted this out. And God's going, I want you to go deeper. I don't want you to have surface freedom. I want you to have deep freedom. And the reason you're going back to your thing time and time again is because it's your thing. And someone else has got their own Achilles heel, but that's your thing. So go back and deal with it. But as we go back and deal with things, and as we begin to walk in our freedom, and those old habits and behaviours and characteristics are, are whimpering in defeat because of the victory of Jesus, so there can be some fresh schemes of evil that come along to try and trip us up. And maybe we're not quite as ready to recognise them because they're not an old thing. They're a new thing, but they're not our thing. They're just presented to us and we're given the temptation. Am I going to go with that? Am I going to entertain that thought? Am I going to indulge that thing? Or am I just going to say, do you know what? That's not me. Go away. So we need to be recognising, God, what's going on here? But also deep-rooted honesty with ourselves why am I reacting like this? What button has been pushed in me? Not blaming, but just saying, hey, what's going on in me? How did, when did that thing start happening? Just being really aware of God. And then just being relentless in our repentance, saying, Lord, I want to be so right with you, so true with you, but I know just a little thought, a little habit, if I entertain it, if I go that way, before I know it, I'm totally off beam. So I need to be continually repenting, turning back to God, choosing God, turning away from the temptation and sin. Keep on. Be quick to confess and sort out my sin and my behaviour, seeing the lies that I'm beginning to agree with or believe or just entertain a little bit. I don't want it to be a habit. I want to say it for what it is and get rid of it. I'm going to take it to the cross. I know how much he forgives me. I know he loves to lavish his grace and mercy upon him. So do you know what? I'm not going to dilly-dally. I'm not going to take my time. I'm not going to fall into isolation. I'm not going to withdraw. I'm not going to hide in my shame. I'm just going to come boldly before the throne of grace and say, Lord, I have sinned. I, I, I repent. I need your forgiveness. I need it. If I'm going to live for you, I need to live a forgiven 
life. Receive it. And then we need to come against it, and we're going to be looking at this, in authority to rebuke and renounce the lies of the evil one and the schemes of the evil one and the evil spirits that are going to come against us and just say, no way. Just, you're not going to have a... You're not going to have any foothold, toehold, handhold, thoughthold in my life. I'm not having it because I'm a new creation in Jesus. And then just continually, continually washing ourselves in the word of God. Filling ourselves up with God's truth, with God's opinion, with God's thoughts. How precious are your thoughts to me, Lord? Oh, you, you've got a different view. You've got a different opinion, and I want to value your view and opinion more than my own or anyone else's. There's freedom for you. And it's, and it's not necessarily all the time that we go through all those stages or in that particular order, but as we're engaging with the Lord and as we're in relationship with him, the Holy Spirit will say, it's this, mate, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do now. Come on, and he'll highlight something to us and we just need to be responding in faithful obedience. So, keep on using the five R's. Keep on using your imagination. Oh God, give me a sanctified imagination. I don't want the old images dominating me. I want new images dominating me. I want to know what it looks like, Lord, for me to live in freedom with you and in relationship with you. So I want to start imagining myself differently. I'm not going back to the old imaginations and the old thoughts and the old things. They're thinking this about me. They're saying this about me. Just my new imagination is, look at me, Lord. Look at who you made me to be. Wow, I get to do this. Fantastic. And as we meet with God in, in his thoughts, his precious thoughts about us, we will become the people that he wants us to be. Because all we, we've been doing the same thing in the past, we just didn't recognise it. We were imagining all those terrible things about ourselves and all the terrible things that we could do, and we did them. So we just need to change our thoughts, our imaginations. Lord, what is stopping me? Like if that's what I'm looking at, what is stopping me? I'm open to this. So we engage with God. We cooperate with him. We're relentless in our pursuit of being the person God made us to be. And it's all for God's glory. It's all for God's praise. It's all for God's sake. And it's for this world's sake. It's for those people you're going to meet in the future and the people who already know you, that they're going to see difference in you. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for God. It's going to be good for you. the church. It's going to be good for the kingdom. It's going to be good for those that you work with. An agent of goodness. What will help you live like this? We'll just flick over. We're still on page one. Is that getting into honest accountability relationships. One of the things about being on a uh, team to pray with people, the honour and privilege of that, is you get to hear people being really honest. You get, you, you get to see people squirming and quaking and then stepping out, being honest and seeing it all drop off them and the freedom coming to them. But we've got to maintain it. It's like we've crossed the line. We've gone over it. We've shared a bit of ourselves with someone. We've been honest. And then we've gone... Oh, they didn't stone us. I'm all right. I'm still here. 
Okay. Right. Great. Oh, dare I trust someone again? Dare I trust them again? See, the thing with trusting people, there is risk involved, but it is worth the risk. But where we've been hurt in the past, we can get hard-hearted. So I would say, don't, don't trust people willy-nilly. Choose well, but go for it. Take the risk of trust so that you've got an honest accountability relationship um, that will help you walk out this life. And don't give the devil a foothold. Just don't do it. Don't give him, if you sin, repent quickly. Don't, don't give him a landing pad where he can get in and have authority in your life. Just kick him out. So, What is the church's assignment, I hear you cry? Thank you. We are to carry on the work of Jesus. We are his church. We're his body on the earth. We are his hands and his feet. We are the hope in Christ for this world. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. Anyone... Sorry, who was that? Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father and you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. In my name, in the character and in the glory to God. So not every selfish prayer will be answered with a yes. It will be answered a no. But, or maybe in his grace, he might actually answer selfish prayers, actually. But we are to take our eyes off ourselves, get caught up with him, and then live for other people, live a life of service. Because that's what Jesus did. He said, go and make disciples of me. Go and make disciples of me. Go and love people. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbour as yourself. That's that's how Jesus lived. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. He was caught up with the Father's passion for lost people, because he wants people in right relationship with him. God wants others to become sons and daughters of the king and be reconciled and be part of the family. That's his passion. I'm so glad he saved me. I'm so glad he called me out of my lostness and out of my darkness and brought me into his life. I'm so glad that Jesus came looking for me. And Jesus came looking for me in many different body shapes and sizes. They had different faces the Jesus I met, but they were looking for me in Jesus' name. And he found me, and he used people to do it, different people at different times, using different words and in different ways, but he came to seek the lost me. Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one, of the devil. He came to destroy the power of sin, and the power of death. He came to destroy sickness. 
He came to destroy basically anything that has, the devil has a foothold in. So he came to destroy materialism. He also came to destroy poverty. He came to destroy fear. Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. And Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome, be victorious. Don't be overpowered, but overpower. Don't be overwhelmed, but overwhelm. He's calling us to be like him. Jesus wasn't overwhelmed and he wasn't overpowered. And he wasn't overcome unless it was by his choice. Not by evil. Jesus was a man, we're told, God in a human body. But that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit came to be with him. So we can be encouraged that although Jesus was God, he left behind all that mighty godness and became a human being. But a human being filled with the Spirit. And then he did the things that God wanted him to do. We can do the same. Be filled with Holy Spirit. He hasn't left us on our own, in our own strength. He's not saying, pull your bootstraps up, come on, you can do better, try harder. No, no, he's saying this, and this is what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. Spirit of God, the anointing of God to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the years, sorry, the year of the Lord's favour. There's an anointing on Jesus, Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, that he wants us to work through and live in, that we are the anointed ones, that the church is the anointed one, that we're anointed by God and by his spirit. So we've got a mission from God. The church can be on assignment. He's not about us just surviving. God doesn't want us to be survivors. He wants us to be victors. He wants us to live in his victory, to receive his victory, to walk in the good of his victory. Right in the beginning, God designed, original design for mankind was to operate as God's authority on earth, to be God's stewards on earth. We are made under him to rule. God delegates authority. We know the story. Adam and Eve, they, they sinned, didn't they? In, in a sense, they abdicated their authority to rule and gave it to the evil one. So we Page four there, Ephesians 2, 2 says this. You, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world or in the heavenly realm. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So there's evil powers at work and ruling 
and reigning and influencing and controlling the world that we live in, the world that God designed human beings to rule and to reign in. So we're in a, we're in a battleground. In Christ, we've been raised to new life. So set your sights on the realities of heaven. The heavenly realms, a spiritual reality, just as real as this place. We need to, we need to get into that. We need to realise the reality of heaven. There, Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, so we think this is real. My real life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where my life is, my real life. So, Jesus is, is the one who's seated in the heavenly realms in a place of authority and a place of power. And we see that he is full of authority. In Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, it says this. I, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and it's the same power that seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So this power at work... He wants us to understand. Now, Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also the one to come. God has put all things under the authority of Jesus Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus is above all, everything, above everything. He is the one who's in the greatest authority. No one, no thing has greater authority than Jesus. Who are we? And where are we? Well, we are in Christ, aren't we? We are in Jesus. Our lives are hidden in Christ with God. Jesus is the greatest authority. There is no authority above Jesus. Where are we? In Christ. What does that mean? It means that we are in the place of greatest authority with Jesus. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So if you could just stand up, please. Stand up. Lovely. And where are you? Yeah, we're here. We're here. But for those of you clever ones, you know that while you're standing up, you're actually sitting down, aren't you? Because you're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ while you're standing here with us. 
How amazing is that? You can be in two places at once. There is spiritual truth that blows my mind. You all are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I can see you standing in front of me here in Grosvenor Hall. But you are seated in the place of authority in Christ. Let that revelation sink in. You may be seated. Thank you. You have been given the fullness of Christ. He's the head over every power and authority, and you have been given his fullness. We are called Christ's ambassadors. When an ambassador comes, they represent who they represent. So if the ambassador of um, Uganda was to walk in, he would be representing Uganda. And he would come with the weight and authority of Uganda. Who do you represent? We are Christ's ambassadors. So we represent, when we walk around on earth, we represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Do you remember when you're at work or at school or at university that actually you are a representative of God on earth? You are his ambassadors. You have got power and you have got authority. God's authority is seen in Jesus. His authority was delegated to him by the Father, and the Father commanded Jesus, and Jesus did the work. So we hear of Jesus teaching people, and people going, what is this? What's going on here? This is a new teaching, and it's with authority. There's authority and power when he speaks. Even evil spirits obey him. What's going on here then? Jesus said to demons, go. And they went because he had authority and power. Jesus said to Satan, be gone. And he went. Often he went until another opportune time, but he went. Jesus, if it's fair to say this, had authority over creation. Okay? over the normal things of life. But if we're saying that the evil one has got power and control and influence, we could say that actually in the natural order of things in creation, there's demonic influence and power involved. So even though he had authority over the natural realm, it was still demonic. So he had authority over storms. He had authority over walking on water. He had authority over turning water into wine. He had authority over bread and fish, so it multiplied and fed people. He had authority over sickness. I love this. So standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. So it's not just healing, but dinner as well. Dinner and a show. It's brilliant. Yes. 
Jesus is a man of authority. What about us? What's our authority? So, in, if we are going to move and live in the power and authority of Jesus, because he's got a mission for us, he's got a purpose for us, he's got a calling for us to fulfil what God wants to be done on the earth, we need to understand authority. So, of course, I went to the dictionary, and it says this, the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. The right to exercise power. Now, in the world that we live in, authority is very much disrespected. It's dis- disrespected uh, in government. People are always moaning about the government, whether it's national or local. The police, people say, oh, they don't respect the police like they used to. School teachers are not respected. I've been in school lessons where kids have walked in, sworn at a teacher, and, and I've looked at the teacher, and the teacher's gone, can't do anything. Yeah, what can you do? You can't do anything. And teacher goes, I can't do anything. Now, sometimes it may be with good cause that authority is disrespected because the authority is abused. But the answer to abuse is not no use, but proper use, is an appropriate use. And sometimes we can be frightened or scared to walk in authority because we don't want to abuse it or we don't want to be seen to abuse it. And so we can say, well, I'm never going to do that. I won't act like that. But we can limit God wanting to work through us because we've been abused or we've seen abusive leadership and we just think, I don't want to be like that, so I'm not going to be like anything. And that's not what God wants. But we, because we've caught up with that, we, we can miss out on what God wants us to do walking in his authority. You know, people know they're right, but they don't always embrace their responsibilities. They don't always submit to the authority that is over them. But you know, it's wisdom to submit to authority. Now, the only authority, I believe, that that someone has over you or over me is the authority that you choose to give them. See, someone can have authority over you, and they can try and impose their authority on you. But, and you might do what they say, but if you are rebelling in your heart, you might give them external compliance, but you're not truly submitting to their authority. So you will become rebellious and you will become resentful in your heart. It will make you sick because you'll become bitter and twisted. Now, it's interesting that in, in Ephesians 5, it, talks, it says this, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it talks about wives submitting to husbands and uh, children submitting to parents and slaves or workers submitting to their masters or their bosses. And uh, there, there's, there's a passage there that has been abused by people. You must obey. You must do this. But you know what? I don't believe that's what Paul was saying. See, I think what Paul was doing was giving people that were already living in relationships where they had to submit the option and the choice to submit out of their reverence for Christ. So rather than submitting to your husbands because that's the culture of the day and you have to, no, no, 
Submit to them because of your love for Jesus, of your reverence for Jesus. It's a choice. Children, getting, submit to your parents because of your relationship with Jesus. Your reverence. It's not ought or should. It's not pressed on you. He's giving us a choice to submit willingly and freely. Because only when we submit willingly and freely are we in true submission and therefore in true authority. So, spiritual authority comes from God. It begins with him. It's located within him. He's the ultimate authority. Yet, he desires to express his authority through his people. Therefore, as a people of God, we need to willingly submit and get in line with God's authority, to trust him rather than understand everything, but to trust. See, Adam and Eve did not need to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They did not need to know. All they needed to do was trust God and obey him, willingly submit to his word. They would have walked in authority. But because they didn't, they lost their authority. See, true freedom is not doing whatever you like. It's being constrained to be the person that God wants you to be or made you to be. Doing the things that God made you to do. There's the freedom, but you're doing it in a place of submission to his authority. True freedom is trusting God and living in cooperation and obedience to him. True freedom is being able to embrace. This is who God made me to be, so I can just contribute who I am. I do not need to compare myself with anybody else, because this is who he made me to be, and I'm not wishing I was like someone else. I'm not wishing I am someone else. I'm not acting like someone else, but just who I am in Christ. That is true freedom. We will find our true freedom in being submitted to God and living under his authority. So it must always be, yes, Lord, rather than the oxymoron of, no, Lord. Because if we're saying no, then he's not Lord, is he? So God wants us to submit ourselves to him. Submit yourselves then to God, says James. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you're submitted to God, you've got the authority. Only when Jesus is Lord of our life will we have authority. If Jesus is not Lord, we won't have authority because our authority comes from his lordship, comes from being under his command. So it's understanding the command and the authority comes through to us. Jesus is Lord. We can start moving in authority. Our authority comes from a place of revelation. Just like Jesus, his authority came from what was revealed to him by his father. So the top of page nine says, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son 
also does. So we need to see from heaven, we need to hear the voice of God, our commander-in-chief. Jesus demonstrated perfect submission to what he, he heard and saw in that place of revelation. He said, by myself, I can do nothing. I only judge as I hear. It's only what I'm hearing from my father. I seek not to please myself. It's not about me, but him who sent me. Not about pleasing me, but him who sent me. We are sent ones. And God, in our sent place, God wants us to be concerned more about him than about ourselves, to please him. Jesus said, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Jesus said, what I have heard from him, I tell to the world. I do nothing on my own. I just speak what the Father has taught me. I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. How many of us know it's not just what you say, but how you say it? So much truth has been spoken to people's lives, but with very little or no love. So much truth has been spoken in harsh criticism and judgment, but God is a God of love. So it's not just what we say, but how we say it. So whatever my father has told me to say, says Jesus, I say it. So our authority requires us to be under his lordship. It requires us to come from a place of revelation and faith in what he's saying. Our authority in Christ requires that we live in and out of Father's love for us. See, our only, only insecurity, only in that place of safety of God's love, will we know our true self, will we know our true value, will know our true worth. And when we know our value and our worth, it doesn't matter what other people say to us or do to us. I'm a precious child of the king. I'm loved very much. Therefore, I can operate in father's authority because I'm a child of God. And I believe that Jesus continually aligned himself with the father. He lived under his authority, lived under his love. And because he knew, he knew who he was, he knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, he knew his value and he knew, he knew his worth, he could then serve in love. He could then do menial tasks as a servant, even though he was Jesus, even though his authority is above every authority, even though he could command anything, he was the one who took off his clothes and knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. Servant leadership. Authority to serve in love. God is love. Our authority also requires that we live in unity. Within the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, there is perfect unity. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit 
through the bond of peace. You've been given unity in the spirit of God. Family of God, children of God. You've been given unity to keep the unity you've got by the spirit. See, a house divided against itself, the house can't stand. Or another way, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. God wants his children to get along with one another. God wants us to live in peace with one another. He wants us to live in unity. And in our unity, there is strength. And in our unity, there is authority. Where there is disunity, where there is dividedness, the authority creaks and groans. You see it in the natural, in broken relationships, broken families. Authority gets bent out of shape. Boundaries get bent out of shape because there's not the love and the unity that's required. And in the church of God, he's made it all for us. We can just walk into it, but we need to keep in step with him. See, the, the, the purpose of authority is to love and to protect and to serve and to build up and to empower and to equip and to release, and to lead, and influence, and to bring healing, and to bring that supernatural anointing. See, we, we are not to have authority like the world has authority. The kingdom of God is different, but the kingdom of this world creeps into the church, and so the church manifests worldly thoughts and ideas about leadership and about authority and about rule and it's not what God designed or wanted. Yesterday morning I, I just I sat down and some people are going to be shocked about this but a, a book title came to my mind, Understanding Leadership. And then the next thing that happened was I remember the guy's name, I can't remember it now, Tom Marshall. And I thought I remember that book, Tom Marshall, Understanding Leadership. Well that was about I don't know, a hundred years ago I read that book, but I remembered it, so it was a miracle. And then I picked it up, I looked at the front, I flicked it over, turned to a page, and then I saw my scribble boxing a bit in. The purpose of spiritual authority. And then I read it and I thought, I need to read this out. Now, for some people it might go over your heads. I believe for some people it's going to land and God's going to speak to you. So... Spiritual authority is never to make the rebel conform. Its only purpose is to enable the obedient person to live a holy life. Therefore, it rests on submission and obedience that is freely given. Furthermore, spiritual authority only has spiritual means at its disposal. Its only weapons are prayer, scripture, counsel and the power of a holy life. Church leaders who are exercising spiritual authority must therefore strenuously avoid coercion and manipulation in any form whatsoever, whether by force of will or personality, charisma or reputation or group or peer pressure. Even more to be shunned are claims to divine revelation or divine sanction to back up the directives or reinforce force the views of opinions. In other words, God has told me, so you better do what I say. That's not right. That's abuse. That's not what God 
designs for us, for our authority. So, continuing the work of Jesus, that's what we're about. And as church, we've got a mandate. A mandate means the official command or instruction from authority. So we've got an official command and instruction from our high authority. Jesus said this, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is building a supernatural church that will overcome supernatural forces of evil, the powers of hell, the gates of Hades. So saying that the church will overcome the gates of Hades. So gates are defensive weapons. Gates are symbols of authority. Now, many years ago, I was walking around an estate. I was praying with my friend. And uh, as we were walking along, I, I saw... Now, I, at the time, I didn't... It's only now I've got the language to describe it. But what I saw was I saw these two great, ginormous wooden doors, gates. And they were slammed shut. And I was walking along and praying, and I could see it. And I was thinking, that's strange. And I said to my friend, did you, did you see that? What? And I said, there were these two giant gates, and they slammed shut. I just feel like the force of evil is saying, you can't come here. And my friend, just the Holy Spirit, came upon her, full of boldness, said, right, let's walk up. So we walked up this grassy bank hill, and um, it was in like this, about four o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. And then in the natural, what happened was this great big like wind just came up. We were getting, but it went, the sky went dark, it went really dark, and it was really windy, and we were just, and we were just praying and praying, and then it just went, and it all stopped. And we went, well, that was weird, wasn't it? Now I can say, do you know what? We saw into the heavenly realm. We saw demonic forces of evil coming against the authority of Jesus that I didn't even know I had and I was walking in. But our, our praying bothered them so much and we were able to see and recognise holy boldness come on and we prayed and there was kingdom business done and then we just walked away going, hmm? I don't know what went on. So... And, you know, that sort of sums up my life really going, huh, what's going on here? <laughs> well, God's doing some stuff. Okay. So we don't have to be clever and we don't even have to know what we're doing. we just got to be open to God, to be led by his spirit, to be trusting, and then he'll use us. Even when it doesn't, I don't fully get it, understand it, but you know what? I submitted to him and I trust. I'd forgotten about that event. It was only just as I was looking at it, I thought, oh, yeah. That happened to me. So you do with that whatever you will. But I believe God was at work. The gates will not overcome or prevail, means they will not withstand the assault of the church. So very often we take a defensive posture and we're scared of evil. But greater is he who lives in us than he that's in the world, that we've got a mighty God, a mighty force of good, 
We don't want to be, look at the world that we live in. The church needs to rise up in the power and authority of God and make a, and make a heaven of difference on the earth. God wants to use us and work through us to be in that. We've been given the keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I've got keys. I've got keys to this building. I've got authority to go around and lock doors. Do you know what? I could lock you in right now if I wanted to because I've got authority. But equally, I've got the keys to let you in. We've got authority in the heavenly realms to allow good things to happen and disallow bad things to happen. Yeah? We've got the keys of the kingdom. We've got authority. We can lock things that need to be locked and open things that need to be opened. Allow things to carry on or saying that's not good. Like, and I feel like we've got a bunch of keys and maybe we don't know where the bunch of keys are. Maybe we can't remember where to put them in the lock, but we've got them. But they're, they're in a sense... They're, they're powerless or useless until they're putting in. A friend of mine once, he, he used to walk to the station at Loughton and he'd get the train. And one day he was running really late, so he took his car. He drove to the station. He left his car at the station. He went to work. And because he used to, his habit was to walk home. He walked all the way home and thought, where's my car? I left it at the station. The keys were in his pocket all the time. He could have put them in the car and driven home. We've got keys and we need to work out what to do with them. <laughs> he's given us authority and he's given us power. So there's some words there, binding and loosing. So there's the helpful kind of binding. When, I've read it already, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, to bind up the broken hearted. In Proverbs it says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you, but bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So there's a good binding. That means to join together. So if we bind ourselves to God, if we bind ourselves to his love, if we bind ourselves to the blood of Jesus and the work on the cross, if we bind ourselves to his truth, if we bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit's leading, if we bind our mind and our will and our thoughts to God's will, we will be coming under his authority. That's a good binding. But then there's a bad binding where the binding is to forbid us or prevent us or restrict us from doing things so that we're shackled, we're tied up, we're handcuffed, we're powerless. And uh, many of us live like that. We're bound by or have been bound by fear or addiction or something like that. And um, God wants us to come in power to loose In other words, to smash and destroy, to release, to empower, to set free, to enable people. That's what we've been doing in living free. We've been binding and loosing. So we need to come in authoritative prayer and say, that's good, we're allowing that, we want that. That's bad, we're not allowing that. That's God's will, that isn't. And we get to know what pleases God and what he wants so that we can have power over forces of evil. Page 14, just nip over, you can read the other notes later, is that the key, the key to our supernatural authority is to be in line with God's will and God's purpose so that you prohibit what God wants prohibiting 
It's not allowed. And you release what God wants releasing. So we're called to aggressive spiritual warfare. In other words, God wants us to overcome. God wants us to be um, able to overpower and to defeat evil. God wants us to win. So I think we need to develop a, a, a war, warfare mindset. What's going on here? Oh, we're at war. We're in a spiritual battle. Oh, yeah, I'm involved in that. I'm not a passive standard buyer, but I'm one to get involved. <coughs> but we say to a situation, this is not God's will. This is not right. So we want to fight against it. We want to take back what the devil's stolen. It's not right. It's not good. We need to know what is ours. We need to know what God's saying and we need to fight for it. We need to repent from agreeing that bad stuff that happens is God's will for us. Sickness is not from God. We are in a battle and we need to fight the good fight of faith. And some people will say, never mind, don't worry, it's God's will. And I just think, that's not God's will. That's evil's will being done. I met, I had a friend and their, their baby died. And I remember praying for the baby and, and it's just like, and then some friends of theirs came and they said, don't worry, it's God's will. And they were very upset and they come to me and they said, they said, it's God's will. I said, did you punch him in the face? And they looked at me shocked. What were you suggesting, Mitch? I said, well, it's all right because you could have said, don't worry, it's God's will. <laughs> Not everything that happens is God's will. Yeah, it's not K, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. We're in a spiritual battle. So, we, I'm sure, have all experienced defeat and disappointments in our life. We've probably not been very good at handling them very well. We've prayed for things and we didn't get the miracle or we didn't get the, miracle, uh, the, the breakthrough that we wanted. So, we may have given up. We may have lost hope. We may have lost, lost heart. We might have said, do you know what? Stuff this. I can't cope. I haven't got the faith for this anymore. You know, we need to recognise our disappointment, our hurt and our pain and our grief. Not bury them, not deny them. Be really honest with them. We've lost. We've missed out. We've been robbed. Give ourselves permission to acknowledge it and be honest. Pour it out. Then rise up in faith for another round. And I think what we've done, we've, we've reached out, we've tried, we've been defeated and we've just gone, do you know what? Can't cope with that anymore. Can't cope with that disappointment. Don't let disappointment or toxic sorrow stop you from fighting the good fight of faith. That is exactly what the evil one wants. He wants us to be passive, to withdraw, to have a nice, to have a form of godliness but denying its power, to have a nice religion, to be nice Christians, to go to church. But Jesus wants us to be a victorious, warring army. But we're not fighting, page 16, flick over, we're not fighting like this world fights. We are humans, but we don't wage war, you'll be pleased to know. I'm not calling you to physical arms. You're, you're not my enemy, and I'm not yours, but we have a spiritual enemy. We use God's weapons. 
We use holy living. We use prayer and fasting. And, and we knock down the strongholds of the evil one, of human reasoning. We destroy false arguments, lies. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We, we need to capture theirs and ours rebellious thoughts. What are you thinking? And teach them to obey Christ. Pick up yourselves. Enter the battle. And the pressure is not on us. We don't have to make it happen. We are to enforce the victory of Jesus. So in spiritual warfare, it's essential to understand we don't win the victories. We don't have to win them. We extend and enforce the victory that Christ won on the cross and through the resurrection. We do not have to produce the victory. We haven't got the pressure to work it up enough faith or enough energy or enough passion. We simply operate out of faith and obedience. We declare God's victory into the situation. We express it through our words and through our actions and trust him. And the powers of darkness know that they're defeated on the cross. However, they, they're going to just try and obscure the cross, con us into believing we can't deal with that situation. We can't deal with them. So we need to ignore all distractions. We need to ignore the lies. We need to ignore the fears. We need to listen to God. We need to pray what God reveals to us and therefore establish his victory in the heavenly realms so that the natural, tr natural realms can be transformed and changed. It's in our relationship with God. It's in that place of prayer. It's in that place of authority that we declare God's word and God's truth. Not out of presumption, but out of revelation. The cross is true. The power of the cross is true. The only thing that Satan can do is obscure that, block our view, distract us. It's in the cross. So don't agree with the fears, the lies, or the intimidation. And don't wait until you feel better or you feel righteous. Don't allow natural circumstances to define your mood and therefore take you out of the game. It's not a game. <coughs> Remind yourself, this is who he is. This is what he's done in my life. This is who he's called me to be. This is who he equips me to be. And so I need to take my marching orders from my commander-in-chief and do the things that he wants me to do, when he wants me to do them. That it's, it's more... It, it, it's, I can't think of good English. It's more worse for me to disobey him than to obey him. And very often we think it would be worse if we obey him. And the lies come in. Live free, live fully, live in God's authority and be about his assignment. Amen. Nita. Okay, thanks, Rich.